Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. And I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. Today we are joined by the totally fabulous Ophelia Lovey-Bond. Ophelia plays Carrie Johnson in Sky Atlantic TV show This England. She stars opposite Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson and is an intimate and at times troubling look at 10 Downing Street at the outbreak of the coronavirus. Ophelia is also starring in the HBO hit show Minx, playing Joyce, who in 1970s LA creates the first erotic magazine for women. It is thought-provoking and laugh-out-loud hilarious comedy at its best. In this episode, Ophelia gets honest about the challenges around playing Carrie Johnson and what the media treatment of the real-life Carrie says about sexism in our everyday lives. Ophelia also talks about just how much her mum loves the dick montages in Minx and who can blame her? Welcome to the era of full frontal dick on TV. Yes. Well, prosthetic penises anyway. <laughs> the crowns at the ready. Let's rain. Well, hello, babe. How are you? I'm very well. This is very exciting. I know. I'm so excited to talk to you. Where in the world are you right now? What are we doing? Picture I'm the in scene LA. for us. Oh my God. What are we doing in LA? <laughs> Set the scene. I'm looking. I'm actually can see the Hollywood sign from my window. So that's, Chic. that never gets old. Um, <laughs> and palm trees and you can, yeah, it's all very lovely. It's very LA, blisteringly blue skies and it's really hot. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can just see the bins of Fulham. So that's a very different <laughs> vibe I love it, the contrast. You're out there oh. living that Hollywood dream. I'm <laughs> making it in Chelsea. <laughs> sort of. So babe, we need to talk about this England. I loved it. I also found it heartbreaking. I found it so anger-inducing at other points as well mm. because it was... It was watching lived history we've all lived through this part of history and seeing the decisions that were made at downing street at the time by these power players like boris johnson and all of his mates around him and then the very real reality of it and the people suffering and dying from covid and dealing with the implications of covid it was such an intense watch did you feel nervous about taking this on i didn't feel nervous about the kind of the, the job. I, I, I was excited about the, kind of the telling to the story of it, but I was, I don't nervous isn't the right word, but I was certainly very aware that people would be almost watching this already having opinions formed, depending, I suppose, on their political stance. But I was very aware that I was not only playing a real person, but a real person who was still very much in people's minds she was on the front pages of the newspapers it wasn't like I was playing someone who you know even was kind of on people's lips five years prior she was still people have very strong opinions about Carrie Simons and obviously about Mr Johnson um 
I was aware that, you know, usually as an actor, you kind of, um, I'm so I'm so aware of how wanky this sounds, but you are, you, you have, you know, part of the excitement of developing a character is that you can think about their physicality and their background and you can make all of these creative decisions that will kind of inform how you play them which are which I find a really exciting part of it and obviously none of those things were at my disposal because she, Carrie Simon she's a real person and, and people mm. are, are very aware of, of how she speaks and sounds and how she walks and her mannerisms so that was a little bit nerve-wracking because you're sort of constricted by what is you know you, people can see on her Instagram um, but at the same time, that was quite a, a challenge in a different way. I mean, I, yeah, I was certainly very aware of the challenge that lay in front of me, but I wasn't nervous in terms of intimidated. Uh, you know, if that makes sense, it was. It wasn't just like, oh god, this is you know, this Carrie Johnson. I better be careful. It was just, um, oh, she has a particular walk. I, I'd better study it. I mean, obviously, it comes down to more, to more, how did you... more than how she walks. I'm aware. I keep talking about her walk, like she's. <laughs> this is the. I mean, I need to stop going on about that, but it's just an easy way to illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, but no, I get. Yeah, no, it would be. It would be. It would be disingenuous to say no. I, I don't care. I was completely cavalier about it. I was very aware that all eyes would be on us. There were already stories in the papers about criticizing the way Ken and I were going to play them just thought you don't you know what we're doing um so I was already thought I already thought gosh no other character that I've ever played no other role that I've had has there been an opinion written about it in the press before it's even released that was interesting that was a new experience oh my god I bet and like when you are playing someone who so many people know or they think they know and have so many opinions about how on earth do you go about preparing to play Carrie Johnson like how do you do it I know you just mentioned the walk but like how do you perfect the walk like you're walking up and down your apartment like I, I'm doing the Carrie walk now it's all about the walk, guys. how did you do it what research did you do it's all about that walk it's all about the walk that's what Marlon Brando says um he doesn't um what well I mean I just started googling her a lot um and just I just did a deep dive. I went back. I went back as far as I could f- doing research about her. I went to school for a couple of years, really nearby to where she went to school. And I actually and I realised that I knew some people that were in her year. She's a few years younger than I am. But um, as soon as I discovered that, I thought, oh, I'll just I'll call them up and ask them what she likes. So that was quite interesting. I love that you did that. I, I it was great. I just thought that well, that was unexpected. Um, so, I mean, I mean, these people are saying, well, you know, it's been a good 15 years since I hung out with her, but they did, but the insights they gave me, interestingly, were the same kinds of things that Tim Shipman, Tim Shipman's the political advisor at the Sunday Times, he was, he, I spoke to him for many hours, um, and, and would check in with him throughout filming if I had questions, he was kind of readily available, but the, the kinds of insights that he gave me were the same as the kinds of insights that some of her friends gave me, well, her former classmates gave me, so that really landed with me, because I thought, oh, you know, 15, 20 years apart, and the observations of her are the same, from people who do not know each other, so those were helpful in giving me a kind of basic structure on which to kind of hang her personality I researching her and finding out the her kind of career path and and seeing 
that she was how tenacious she was and ambitious and um even learning that she initially wanted to become an actress and she, she auditioned for atonement and even that gives you a little insight as to her kind of sense of confidence and her gregarious nature and um that all helped inform the kind of reports of her being very confident she was certainly not um backwards and coming forwards with, with her opinions and um she was very intelligent so it was quite helpful to get that kind of rounded out idea of her um from all all of these different mm. tidbits you know and then i don't yeah uh just just read it yeah just reading her various comments over the years she's she's clearly though very aware of her public persona because i do feel like it's quite carefully curated mm. And the hair is always big. The hair, she's got so much hair. With her. She's got so, I know Michael Winslow. So is, much is, hair. He's is, is not a fan of wigs in general. And I understand why. But I said to him, Michael, I, do, I don't have enough hair. You could dye it any colour you like. It's that <laughs> woman, I don't know what she's doing. I don't know, but she has got about 10 times more hair than I have. So we're going to need to wig it. Um, and also, she's, it's, it's such an immediate. <laughs> the recognisable kind of silhouette. Um, but mm. yeah, my my brunette 60s locks were not going to cut it. There are so many opinions about her and a lot of people have very strong opinions about her yes. and Boris Johnson. Do you think that your opinions of Carrie and them change from before to after? And how did you feel when you left them behind? How did you feel like your opinions have been shaped by that experience. That's really interesting because obviously because I've not been in this situation before of playing a real person, I mm. hadn't had to, I've not had to interrogate that like, that kind of dilemma before. So that was quite interesting to because I, you know, I didn't really have particularly strong opinions about her. I mean, I have, I my strong opinions about Boris Johnson as an official in politics but it's about her I didn't I, I you know it wasn't something that occupied my mind that much well but when you're kind of playing a character you you know you have to like them well you have to you you like who you are you don't you know you when you're sitting there as a person kind of, oh my god I absolutely detest myself I mean I don't know <laughs> being really inarticulate um you you like who you are generally as a person, don't you? So you can't kind of I couldn't kind of you can't go into something having a really strong opinion either way because then it's sort of it would almost be this kind of chasm between who you're playing and then who's kind of on the screen. I don't know. God, it's so hard to articulate, but I think it was important going into this to not my opinion about Carrie and Boris is ultimately irrelevant because how could you kind of unless you're going to he be heavily biased in how you portray someone and then kind of rupture the truth of what you're doing, you need to just be in the mindset of that person. Um, mm. I don't, it's so hard to explain. You know, so I remember Michael, the Winterbottom, the director would sort of say, just play the truth of the scene. Use the dialogue. Don't be thinking about, um, oh, that time it was reported that Carrie did this. I think that should influence how I depict her in this scene. You wouldn't be thinking that if you were Carrie. You'd be playing, you'd be just in the moment. Um, which again sounds so 
wanky, but but it's you're always just trying to play the truth at the moment. That's all it is, really. Acting. It's, I mean, you can have a myriad ways of getting into, it, but ultimately, you're just trying to tell a story. But I mean, in my opinion, I suppose it was more that I just was more informed about how she got to where she had. Uh, I learned things about her that were quite mm. surprising that I, that hadn't been spoken about really that in the press. I mean, obviously, you'd hit the there were the nicknames for her that came from inside number 10, which the, the media sort of <laughs> delighted in reporting. You know, like Lady Macbeth and Marie Antoinette and Princess Nutnut, I think that one was Dom Cummings. But then they didn't, but then the press hadn't really talked about the fact that she was, waived her anonymity when she stood as a witness against John Warboys, who was the convicted rapist who had attacked his uh, victims in his taxi cabs after drugging them. She was one of those survivors. I don't think she was actually assaulted, but she was drugged. And she weighed her anonymity in order to help convict him, which I thought, God, that's... And she was very young when she did that. And I'd not known about that. And I thought, God, that mm. really reveals her tenacity and her kind of... her strong character in terms of that. Obviously, some people... <laughs> question that at her because she's you know they think what is it that about Boris Johnson that you you know find so attractive <laughs> um, yeah but, I mean it's a good question yeah <laughs> the, um, I would have loved to have question asked her about that don't see it myself but yeah the interesting thing about Carrie Johnson is that she's been submitted to so much media scrutiny mm. rightly or wrongly and has been portrayed as someone who's been pulling strings manipulating things and in some ways, whether it's justified, whether some of the things she actually did were correct or she didn't do them, it's definitely very sexist in the way that she's been portrayed by the media 100%. Do you mm. see that as another example of how sexist the media still can be towards women? Personally, yes. I mean, I do. That was something prior to ever being involved with this project. I would see the way she was talked about. And, I, and to me, it was just so obviously sexist that the, the kind of no the media did not come up with those nicknames they they did come from within number 10 however they were repeatedly trotted out kind of with glee <laughs> because i suppose they're mm. attractive it's kind of clickbaity type language but to me it did it was revealing of it did indicate kind of sexism in the way that she was depicted and this kind of delight in talking about her in this way um regardless of how you feel about her politics or Johnson's politics or her involvement and that in and of itself is, is problematic because it kind of trades in these old scopes, these kind of stock characters, you know, character, the, the, they're just tropes that aren't helpful and they don't move the conversation forward and you think why are we still employing this kind of language why is it that we find it so hard to relinquish our attachment to this sort of language when it comes to talking about women the thing is she does actually know what she's talking about because she does she does have a background she was the youngest head of comms for cchq that they'd ever had she, she did actually know what she was talking about as to whether or not she was it was right for her as an unelected official to be giving advice to Boris Johnson. I mean, I mean quite clearly that's problematic. Um, but the way that was reported upon 
to me went uh, it, it went another step further because it, it not only didn't say it didn't just say this is problematic it said princess nut nut shouldn't be giving advice kind of thing just thought oh you see you've kind of undermined your argument there because you had a valid point and now you've sort of undermined it by becoming personal um I do think that there are ways women are spoken about in the press that they're so insidious that they are hard to root out. It's, you know, someone kind of point blank says something openly sexist or openly misogynistic to a woman. You can quite easily attack it and, and say, you do not speak to me like that. You do not use that language. But because the language around... Carrie Johnson, for example, is slipped into conversation so with such a kind of sleight of hand that you that you don't notice it, or at least well I do, <laughs> because it's something that I am keenly averse to. It it kind of that's how it survives. I think that's how that language around women survives because it's done with this kind of sleight of hand. It's like. Um, you know, when things are kind of done in the street, when they're just people, you don't even understand why something has made you uncomfortable, you know, until you learn to become attuned to the language and you learn to pick up on it. it, it, it because it's insidious, that's how it survives. Um, and I think this, I think that, I think it's still very seductive. People are kind of, people employ it without even realising they're saying it. They quantify descriptions of women with sexist language without even realizing it it's so true and you see it all the time in the way that so many women across our society are treated by the media and also then it gives people permission to use it in their everyday lives as well and you know sexism everyday sexism is still everywhere yeah. isn't it and we're still having to deal with it we're still having to face it <sighs> it's but just, you get it's... on the tube and there's a whole about catcalling you're like oh my god how is no one educated anyone about this before but you know what it's interesting is that you've picked that out kind of because oh when i saw those adverts on the tube i just thought i mean it's horrible that this is necessary but i'm so pleased to see them because 100 those are the kinds of instances that are really hard to pinpoint you know if so if if a bloke comes up to you and smacks you across the face it's it's easy to go okay that's not okay but if it's it's the kind of the the inappropriate touching or the kind of the the yeah the cat calling you kind of think well what harm is it you know I'm giving her a compliment I'm saying she looks nice and you think mm. until you understand that that's not the way to approach a conversation with a woman and and, and it's so hard to kind of um, pick it apart one of the most problematic things with everyday insidious sexism like that is the kind of the bystander effect is because it happens with such frequency mm. bystanders kind of don't know what to do when it ha when if someone calls it out and then secondly it's, it's the kind of looking away i mean i've been on the tube before i saw a guy upskirting a girl he was sitting down on the tra train opposite her and he started upskirting her i stood in front of him and i said delete those delete those and because i didn't want her to see what he'd done because I thought it would upset her more to know what he'd done. And I waited until I saw him delete them and I stood in front of him for the rest of his journey. You know, but I just thought, anyway, I'm going, this is me on my soapbox. This is why it makes me so angry because it's everywhere. Um, and someone go, oh, you know, what's the harm? She yeah. never, she'll never know that picture's been taken, that kind of thing. You think that's not the point. It's that's pe pe people don't stop there. It kind of it escalates. Um, so 
Mm. Yes, catcalling might be, oh, I'm just giving a compliment, but it doesn't stop at catcalling. It can go further and further and further. So, and there's no point in people kind of saying, oh, it's, it's not all men. It's just like, well, what's the point in the, in the majority if the majority do nothing to stop the, the minority? The majority have to help stamp out the minority. It's so infuriating because it's so infuriating that we're still having to have these kind of conversations. Yes. That's what frustrates me about it more than anything. Because it's like, I remember when I was, I said something about um, standing up for women and I said, you can't use the not all men argument because then that makes us complicit in it because we need to be standing up, we need to be allies. And I got a message sent to me by someone who I knew who was like, had a daughter and was like, how dare you? I can't believe that you said this. Not all men, you're disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you're part of the problem. What do you mean? Why did they say that? Because I said, if you're saying that it's not all men, then you are part of the problem. And then he went mad. And these messages I got, I couldn't Mm. believe it. It made me really realize that like, I kind of live in a bubble where I have friends where we talk about this all the time and we stand up for it and we step in and we're allies but there's so much work to be done in so many different aspects of community it's it's and it's so sad that we're still here it it, yeah i mean there's women that i went on the march with um a few years ago and they they had the women's march and they had the same placards from the 70s literally the same ones that they had kind of got out of their, you know, attics and were reusing and, you know, it was just awful. But um, the thing, the thing about that, people kind of getting angry and offended when they're going, oh, not all men, you kind of think, direct your anger elsewhere, direct your energy Mm. elsewhere. It's the fact that that's what you're reacting to rather than why people are saying this. We need to understand why that's what upsets you the not all men thing upsets you more than the fact that women are attacked every single day hmm okay mm. what what's that's, that what's that's that about that's the key thing um but <laughs> yeah okay mm. but do you know what it's fuel for my fire exactly it's fuel for the fire and it will keep us having those conversations <laughs> interesting about what you were just saying about the um the signs that they were still carrying from the 70s is that minx picks up on things like this is the catcalling mm. and the sexism that women face in the 70s around sex and gender politics and so much of that stuff is still going on now what still really frustrates you about investigating that time being part of that time and this liberation wave that came through about women talking about sex and then thinking about how far we've come and how much further we still need to go. Well, I think the most alarming problem is that abortion rights are being rescinded and that that's genuinely frightening that women still do not have bodily autonomy Um, and not only did the fact that we've kind of achieved those rights and then that they are being taken away again I think is more alarming than is if we had not achieved them yet because to think that we've kind of got that far and then someone thought ah do you know what no I don't think she should be allowed to choose what to do with her own body actually no let's just let's take that right away again that's that's probably the the single most alarming thing. Um, I mean, I think, I do feel, Minx is so fun. I mean, it's, 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 
it's a really fun show to be part of because you are Ellen Rappaport, the creator of the show. We are kind of incorporating, um, addressing the fact that there are lots of things that we still have not achieved. We haven't achieved pay equity and all, and you know, um, mm. bodily autonomy and all those kinds of things. But it's it's approached in a way that's. Um, it's not dogmatic. It's a comedy, you know. It's not. It's not supposed to be a lecture series. So it is. It is funny. I mean, it's it's light hearted. People don't need to kind of think, oh God, am I going to be battered over the head with this? But it's. But she does it in a way that it's so preposterous. She kind of presents these scenes as so preposterous, and the humour being that, well, actually, this is yes, it's set in nineteen seventy three, but it's actually not historical. A lot of the things that we're addressing are still part of the conversation 50 years later that's what is scary um that's what's preposterous um so it's 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 fun saying the dialogue in that kind of way because you you are kind of winking at the audience um i mean i say fun (laughs) devastating but um, (laughs) you know you can't can't be all doom and gloom otherwise you'd give up on you um but it's uh exactly i mean but women still i still feel that women are it's still taboo to talk about kind of female pleasure people are still quite shy about it it's still mm. uh, I, still, I mean even all, all of the discussion recently about kind of ending period poverty people are still can still be a little bit they don't they don't talk about periods they just kind of pretend that it doesn't happen it's like well how human beings are born so we kind of you know can't pretend it doesn't happen but it's i think there's still shyness about it uh, I, 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 that is what I love about doing Minx is that it really celebrates your the, the, your body and, and sex positivity and body positivity and just kind of punctures a hole in this kind of balloon of squeamishness and like oh I don't want to talk about that, don't want to talk about masturbation don't want to talk about periods, it's kind of it. Do, I think it kind of approaches it in quite a fun way, I hope so anyway it's fun to play it <laughs> Oh my God, it's so fun. And I think that's what's so special about it is that it does prevent all those conversations in a really fun way. And you see Joyce becoming more liberated by these conversations. Do you feel like you've become more liberated through playing her? Do you feel like it's set you free in in so many ways? (laughs) Set me free? It has. I mean, do you know what? It has actually. Uh, I realised there were things that I... I mean, I'm a pretty open person... Um, I'm sure you can tell, but there were. I realised there were things that I had some things I hadn't spoken about with my friends, um, or certainly not at length. I thought I want. You know, we probably don't speak about sex in the same way that my male friends do. I mean, even if I the school, the Latimer. I went to Latimer for like two years, and it, we were the, the girls were heavily outweighed by the boys there because it was initially an all boys school. So I have lots and lots and lots of male friends, and growing up, I had far more male friends than women. And the way that they would speak about sex was so much more open than my female friends did. And certainly doing Minx, I was speaking to Dara Victor, who's one of the other, she's a brilliant actress on the show. She plays Tina. And she was talking about how it, Minx had helped change the way that she spoke about it with her friends. And so I think that was, uh, that's certainly been quite freeing. Um, and also just, you know, you... <laughs> Not that we sit there with like a catalogue of willies, but 
The, in the opening episode where there's the dick montage, <laughs> which is what it actually said in the script, those are that words, the male body isn't completely sexualized in the show. It's also just discussed and just kind of shown and you realise you don't really see the male body presented in that way in a kind of, I don't know, a non-aggressive way. And it's been very funny hearing my mother's feedback on that montage. What was your mum's <laughs> feedback on that montage? Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up all the way. Loved it. She's watched that episode several times. Um, there's episode four with Shane, the uh, firefighter. <laughs> you see him in all his glory. She has watched that episode four times. <laughs> oh my God, she's here for she's it. She's loving it. She, she is just, here for it. She just, she keeps sending me messages going, oh, I like Shane. <laughs> and then she said, and then she followed it up with, she followed it up with, I like Jake too. I like Jake too. Then I sent, I, I sent a screen grab of that to Jake going, she likes Shane, but she does like you too. And he was like, great, awesome, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually such a, like an amazing point to this show because after so many years of objectifying female nudity on screen mm -hmm. it's so great that we're living in this era now where we're kind of turning the tables using the female gaze and from my perspective the gay gaze um <laughs> onto <laughs> well, these exactly. men and also it's kind of like the it's like the era of the dicks has arrived and how great is that <laughs> that we have that on our screen and we can literally like be like yeah this is it this is funny i mean i'm pleased to be of service um, it's very, I mean, I do feel that it's, it just, it, the fact that it's been such a kind of conversation started it is in itself revealing of, of the kind of how lacking it's been. And I mean, the thing is that, that people, are, I say people are there for it. I mean, if, if you've got women in their seventies enjoying it as much as kind of, you know, guys in their thirties, brilliant. Dick. <laughs> Deserves the 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll take it. But what I find so great about it as well is that it does bring up these very deep points. It does make us think. It does make us reflect. But then at the end of the day, there's like chaps and there's dildos and there's like dick montages. And you're still going to giggle over those things like you are a 14-year-old child at some point. Mm. What really funny moments stand out for you when you're on set and you're like, oh, I've just lost it here. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> I'm Romeo Dan. <laughs> I used to know all the lyrics to that. I don't anymore. Oh my God, I was such a garage girl. Oh, oh that's a shame. I know. Oh, oh, I should... <laughs> I'll brush up. I'll brush up. They're always my go-to. Brush karaoke. up, brush it's up. Always um, garage songs, always. I think one of the funniest moments actually was when we shot the pilot. We were in deep in lockdown. So I was out here in LA, it was really early on, so it was very, very strict, really strict measures on set. I mean, we had masks and shields, the actors. There was, an obviously, all of the background artists, it, it's set in a pornographer's publishing house, so there's lots of nude models, female models walking around. And all of, every, all of the background artists had masks on, and <laughs> speaking to, there were two models who were just leaning against the desk, and they're talking to me through their masks, but had their vaginas out. So that was quite weird. Just, they were wearing assless chaps, kind of fringe down the sides with their kind of bushy vajayjays on show, but with their masks over their faces. I just thought, 
My job is so weird. Also, when you break that down, you go to someone like, what did you do yeah. today? You're like, wow. <laughs> Actually, my friend Zoe, she did She did happen to ask me about my day at work that day. And I was like, oh, I cannot wait to regale you. Obviously, you can't take pictures, but my 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 descriptions were kind of vivid <laughs> enough, I think, for her. Meanwhile, she was kind of, uh, you know, working from home in Bristol and hadn't seen anyone for ages. And I was just like, I've just seen several women in the buff. But it was just... I mean, there were lots of really funny stuff. Jake always, he does this weird character. He goes into this this deep southern character of a kind of a 70-year-old man, apropos of nothing, um, which is always, and he'll kind of sidle up to you and do it to you, and you kind of jump and he's in your ear doing it. It, it was just, the whole the whole premise is brilliant. Ellen Rappaport, who's the, 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 the saucy brains behind this entire show, is the best leader. She's so funny. She's so collaborative. The ideas that she comes up with, you, you, it really is the most fun I've had. It, and one of the other actors said that it's like a day at the spa. I mean, a, a, a nude spa, but it's a day at the spa. It's really just, it's so fun. You're because you, you know, you're, you're making these political points, but you're doing it with with humour, you, you know. And I think it's for that reason the best way to spend your day. Tell you another moment I overheard. Oh, give it to me. I'm ready. Look, there's one episode where we have to have the man. He's quite an unpleasant man. So Ellen wanted to make sure he had quite um, an unsavoury looking Willie. And the props... This... This... this <laughs> his, his Willie had to be achieved with prosthetics. And the head of makeup, Carly Herbert, said, well, what are we talking about? Like, what? give me, give me like a reference point. And she was like, mm, I want it to look like a Sharpay. <laughs> so she made a prosthetic willy that looked like a Sharpay dog. <laughs> I just couldn't. When did this actor get presented with the Sharpay willy and was like, this is what I mean, we see I was not there. Like, because that's the bit where I would literally be. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, but, you know, obviously that would have been highly inappropriate. Um, it's, I mean, I think it's episode. <laughs> Gosh, I think it's episode seven or eight. You can, you can see the wonder of the Sharpe penis if you if you care to dive, indulge. <laughs> well, if people weren't going to go watch Minx <laughs> after all we've said about it, they're now going to literally go oh, watch it God. to see this. They'll be skipping to episode seven. <laughs> Don't skip to episode seven, guys. There's lots of great stuff before you get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, gosh, it's been. I, I shot the pilot of Minx and then went straight into doing This England. I mean, talk about there couldn't have been two more different shows. It was just talk about a kind of gear shift in your mind. It was uh, really enjoyable as an actress to get to do that. But but yeah, you really had to go, right, park that, move on. Oh, just thank God you weren't presented with any prosthetic Boris Johnson <laughs> anatomy bits or anything like that. Blessed be. The prosthetics were facial as only, as far as I'm aware. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> what a journey. What a journey. Honestly, like, you are amazing. Oh. And what you bring to the screen is so great. And you're such a joy to talk to. <laughs> and I've loved talking to you today. But before you skip off into those Hollywood hills, <laughs> I always ask everyone this who comes on the podcast, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you'll always live by? What's that rule for you? I would quote Eleanor Roosevelt and say, comparison is the thief of joy. That's what I would say. 
And it's true. I love that. Did you used to fall into comparison traps? Oh, yes. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not Gandhi. Um, (laughs) You can't can't help it. You know, I'm saying that more as a kind of guiding North Star. Uh, It's certainly something when I was younger. Oh, my God, the hours I would spend just kind of go, oh, I know, woe is me and kind of, Frankly, you know, you, you kind of, you're guilty of being envious and things. And then you just reach a certain point and think, what am I doing? This is not serving me. These are not good thoughts. This doesn't achieve, this doesn't do anything. All of this energy could be poured into something more positive. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, Serena Williams as well. She always talks about how, you know, you supporting other, other women is just, is you make, you feel better in doing that. And just, it's, I'm comparing yourself to people it does when has it ever made you feel good never not once so, and i remember coming across that quote when i was quite i can't remember what i was reading but um i don't know i was geeking out about eleanor roosevelt um and then i came across that quote and i just thought oh that's a good and oh and i and i and i have it on a little bookmark it's i have it's just i think it's a good north star to keep you not only supporting other people but just not being down on yourself, you know? 100%. I love it. I'm taking that with me. That's going to be my North Star. And keep slaying it. And thank you so much for joining me today. And Aww. I can't wait to get to episode seven. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode. And if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going and I'll see you next time.